So when I put my son Russell to bed each night, we have a little routine we go through. First, brush teeth, put on PJs, and then we get in bed. And uh, then the routine is read a book, sing a song, say prayers, lights out. Except Russell wants to delay bedtime. So once the lights go out, he always says to me, would you tell me a story with your mouth? So we have this little tradition, but uh, he is six now, and I'm running out of stories. I, uh, I've told him stories from my childhood. I've told him stories from the Bible. I've told him stories from history. Uh, and sometimes I tell him stories, sermon illustrations that I share with you all here. Um, lucky kid, I know. <laughs> and uh, so... A while back, I sh- we were, had a message here uh, where we were talking about forgiveness. And I shared a story about our human tendency to nurse our wounds and feed our grudges and how we think it's helping, but actually it's killing us inside. And the illustration I used that day was about how people hunt for wolves. And I shared about how you, you may have heard this or remember this, but uh, about how people will, you know, hunting for wolves, they will take a piece of meat and um, stick it on a very sharp knife and put it in the woods. And the wolves will come and begin to devour that meat. And as they're doing so, they um, begin bleeding. And they don't recognize the difference between the meat and their own blood, and they end up dying. So I told my son this story, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, sweet dreams, baby. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, so I, I hope he would write, like, forget it right away. But no, no, he's five, he was five at the time. So pretty much every night there after for weeks, tell me that story about the wolves in the woods. And, uh, so it's Mother's Day. And, uh, I'm confessing that to you. What was I thinking? I have no idea. Um, So at this time, the ushers are going to come forward to receive a special offering for my children's therapy. (laughs) But forgiveness. Big topic. And last week, Gary kicked off this series, and he walked us through the fourfold path to forgiveness. From Desmond Tutu's book, That journey is telling the story, naming the hurt, granting forgiveness, and then renewing or releasing the relationship. And today we want to just talk for a few moments about how in order to forgive, something has to die. Maybe I have to die to a wish, hope, or dream that I held dear. Maybe I have to die to something I wanted more than anything. Maybe I have to die to an expectation or an image of myself. But in order for forgiveness to occur, something has to die. When we talk about forgiveness, I think it's always important to remember what it is and what it is not. So forgiveness is not submitting to a different version of the story. It is not surrendering yourself to a different version of what happened. 
Forgiveness is not stuffing down the pain. It is not smoothing over the situation. Forgiveness is not avoiding the hurt. Forgiveness is not necessarily about reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one person. That's you. You have agency to walk the fourfold path of forgiveness to find freedom. It takes one person. Reconciliation requires two people. And they're in completely different lanes. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is also not a one-time deal. Often, forgiveness is a process of walking that path. It takes time. Rarely is it a one-time thing. Forgiveness is also not forgetting what happened. It's not forgive and forget as we like to say. In fact, forgiveness is a fierce remembering. Author and researcher Brene Brown has uh, said some very fascinating things about forgiveness, and I want you to hear them straight from her in this video clip now, so let's take a look. You know, Joe Reynolds is the dean at the church where I go, and um, we had this whole talk on forgiveness, and he said something that was so, I mean, it, it spoke to me first as a researcher because it answered something that I hadn't been able to answer for a decade. He said, in order for forgiveness to really happen, something has to die. And I'd never thought about that before. And I was like, like and everybody was kind of like, what do you mean? He said, whether it's your expectations of a person, there has to be a death for forgiveness to happen. And so he said, you know, in all of these faith communities where forgiveness is easy and love is easy, and it's, he's like, there's not enough blood on the floor for, to make sense of that. You know, like, and so I thought about why forgiveness is so hard in our culture, because there's two affects or emotions in my research that I found that people fear the most, and it's shame and grief. And so if something has to die in order for forgiveness to happen, and people are deathly afraid to feel grief, then we just won't forgive anybody. Because I don't want to feel grief. I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and discomfort. But what it ended up saying is, I'll sit with you in it. And I, didn't ever, I never thought until I found it that that would be enough. But it's perfect. You know, it's just, I don't feel alone in it anymore. In order for forgiveness to occur, something has to die. And when we smooth over or gloss over or fake like this journey is easy, as she said, there is not enough blood on the floor. In Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10, we see a movement of forgiveness, forgiveness of sin and how the Bible speaks of that. Hebrews 10, 17, and 18, God says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So Hebrews 8 starts out by saying this. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. And over the next few chapters, the writer of Hebrews makes the central point of the letter. 
In chapter 8, the author explains that the holy temple on earth was just a copy, a shadow of the holy temple in heaven. So this earthly temple had a high priest that would offer sacrifices to atone for sin. That's how it worked. However, since it was just a copy of the true temple in heaven, these sacrifices being offered to atone for sins were incomplete. And Hebrew says Jesus is the new high priest, the high priest of the true temple in heaven. And then in chapter 9, the comparison continues. It describes how the earthly temple was set up and how it functioned, how every year the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices. Always those sacrifices included some sort of blood. Again, these sacrifices were just illustrations. The earthly temple was just a model. Jesus, being the true high priest, entered the true Holy of Holies, and what did he do? Offered himself. Offered himself as a sacrifice, shedding his own blood. And in that way, he did away with finally sin. So for for forgiveness to occur, something has to die. And then in chapter 10, it clearly states that all the sacrifices that were made in the past for the forgiveness of sins didn't actually do anything. They were just reminders of the people's need for forgiveness. It was the final sacrifice of Christ that ultimately atoned for the sins of the world. So over these three chapters in the book of Hebrews and the scriptures, the movement of forgiveness can be seen. That forgiveness is carrying us into the future. That the entire temple sacrificial system was designed to directly acknowledge that there was harm done through sin and blood had to be spilt to atone for the sin. In other words, the sin... It wasn't ignored, it wasn't glossed over, it wasn't stuffed down, it wasn't avoided. Which is why those first two steps of the fourfold path are so important. Telling the story, naming the hurt. For forgiveness to occur, something had to die. Ultimately, through the final sacrifice of Jesus, sin is atoned for, forgiveness is made possible. So thinking about this in my own life, we all, I believe, suffer um, big and little hurts in life. It is a part of being human. And if your narrative says that faith needs to take that away, it's it's not an accurate narrative. As Brene Brown continues talking in that video, she talks about God, Christ identifying with us in everything. So the hurts we suffer, big or little, he knows. wants to sit with us in them. The power of his presence. One of the griefs um, that I suffer as a pastor is that people will leave our community, and sometimes when they go, 
they are in pain of their own. And out of that pain, they will say things that hurt me. Sometimes people leave and feel the need to throw me or our community kind of under the bus as they go. And that, that stings. That hurts. It feels like rejection sometimes or betrayal. Sometimes I feel a little like a parent who's maybe, you know, just given so much only to hear the words, you never really loved me anyway, as like a piece of my heart storms out the door. So thinking about that grief, for forgiveness to occur in me, something has to die. First of all, what dies is my hope that we would continue to share life in this community. But here's what I'm coming to see. There's something else that has to die. Because in our shared humanity, rarely is the pain one-sided and rarely is the fault entirely one-sided. See, when someone leaves our church and says hurtful things as they go, uh, immediately I want to be all superior in my heart I want to inflate all their flaws and minimize all my flaws. Their flaws are huge. My flaws are minor. But the reality is, my love for this church, it's a mixed bag. I am a big mix of paradoxes. On one hand, I love this church, and that is true. And at the exact same time, I love myself. I serve and give and lead and preach, yes, because the love of Christ compels me, and I do those things to gain your approval and your applause. And I am not yet free of self-interest in the way that I love. So I have expectations on you, and when you don't meet those expectations, I may get hurt, I may get angry, and when you, when you leave, it reveals to me that, yes, I love you, but I also was loving with strings attached, wanting something in return, and whenever we love with strings attached, when we love wanting something in return, the hurt, the anger breaks loose in our hearts when those expectations are not met. Here's the thing can stay right there in that hurt or perhaps anger. Or you can continue on that journey. When I stay right there, I am in chains. I am not free. This moment, it's actually a gift to me. It's a gift to me because my false self is being exposed this is my ego masquerading around as love, getting unmasked. And this is an opportunity for me to bring my entire self, all the paradoxes that are me, all the mixed motives of myself, to bring that whole self into the lap of my loving Lord where healing can happen. 
you and I cannot perfect ourselves in love. It's a work only God can do. And it's in suffering and in hurt that I'm exposed for who I really am and where my attachments really lie if only I'm brave enough to open my eyes and see. That's why we say so often here, hard times. Hard times can be holy times. We can be healed in suffering. Because here's the thing, when everything is stripped away in your life, when the bottom falls out, when everything's taken away, when all earthly attachments are exposed, do you know what I get to see then? I come to see God is there. When everything falls away, I come to see that my life in the palm of his hand is all I need. That in him, I lack nothing. And that is real freedom. And that is unadulterated love. And that is union. And you know what happens? The more and more and more moments of my life that I live there, the less I am just giving love and the more I am becoming love. Because the most holy and necessary practice in our lives is God's presence. And when everything is taken away or when we suffer one hurt that just feels like the world to us, we come to see, we can come to see God is there, and in him we lack nothing, and he is all we need. We just sang about it. You're my breath. You're my life. You're my everything. Our sorrows and our griefs have the power to transform us. And when I'm hurt and resentment sets in, it's an invitation. Because in that moment, you know what's happening? I'm at the end of my love for you. I don't have any more love for you. And do you know what the end of my love for you is? The end of my love for you is actually just the very beginning of God's love for you flowing through me. So finally, we got my love, my trying to love everybody out of the way. And I'm in desperate need. I'm out of love. And now it's just the beginning of your love, God's love, flowing through me. Henry Nouwen says this, two things that communities need, forgiveness, celebration. Forgiveness, celebration. He defines it this way. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to allow the other person not to be God. Forgiveness says, I know you love me, but you don't have to love me unconditionally. Because no human being can do that. We all have wounds. We all experience pain. We all want to belong, be noticed, be applauded, be seen. And when we grab onto people, what we're doing is we're expecting them to give us an affection and love they cannot ultimately give. 
Hebrews 10 says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now that sounds like the cliche, forgive and forget. Sounds like God is saying, forgive and forget. But that's actually not accurate. The writer of Hebrews is actually using this declaration kind of as the culminating point of these three cha- the three-chapter-long discussion on forgiveness of sins. And these words are a quote from the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah said, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That word remember comes from the word, the Hebrew word zakar, And what it suggests is a a recalling to one's mind in order to affect behavior. So it's almost like our memories and our brains are in a filing cabinet. All the memories in a filing cabinet, in our brains. And the word remember here has to do with pulling something out of that memory file to look at it and review it before making a decision. So in this phrase in Jeremiah and Hebrews, God is saying our sins will no longer be brought to mind to affect how God relates with us. It's not forgiving, but forgiveness, it's not forgetting what happened. It's not glossing over and neglecting. It's not burning the memory file, it is simply leaving that memory file in the filing cabinet, not referencing it all the time. Desmond Tutu said, the invitation to forgive is not an invitation to forget, nor is it an invitation to claim an injury is less hurtful than it really is, nor is it a request to paper over the fissure in a relationship to say it's okay when it's not. It's not okay to be injured. It's not okay to be abused. It's not okay to be violated. It's not okay to be betrayed. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It requires a fearless remembering of hurt. For forgiveness to take place, something has to die for forgiveness to be possible. Someone had to die. Cheap grace would say, live however I want, because I know I'm already forgiven. The problem with that, there's not enough blood on the floor. If you want the power to forgive yourself, If you want the power to forgive another, to be free, experience the power of being forgiven, which comes as we gaze upon and marvel upon the sacrificial love of Christ. And the more we marvel, and the more we gaze, the more we become like him. He's perfect in love. Hebrews 9.26 says, Christ has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
heard a story this past week about a mom of two young kids who became very sick. She had to go to the hospital and was in a wing where no children were allowed. And though that was really hard on her, it was especially hard on her four-year-old boy who just wanted his mama. And after a couple weeks in the hospital, the doctor said, you can go home, but you'll need to stay in quarantine. Like, you'll need to stay in your room. You, You can't be hugging and snuggling with your kids. And so the first day she came home, she's in her room, and the kids know they can't go in and snuggle with mommy. And that night they went to bed, and she woke up in the morning. Do you know what she saw? Four little hands, two little, eight little fingers under the door. And do you know what he had done? He had just fallen asleep like this. Like, I know I can't be with mom, but I am going to get as close as I possibly can, you know? And to me, it's just like this beautiful picture of how I want to be with God's presence. I want to get as close to you as humanly possible. I want to live more and more and more of my moments in your presence. It's all I need. And last month, Tim was talking about Spending, you know, we're, we're like, we're kind of like a broken record around here about silence and solitude and the importance it plays in our lives of faith. But Tim was talking about setting the timer, developing a 15-minute habit of just sitting quietly. Somebody said to me after that, yeah, I tried that. Um, I just, I did not know what to do during that time. And do you know what I hope for you during that time of daily solitude and silence, I hope for you to just let God love you. Because there's going to be hurt, and there's going to be pain, and some days there's going to need to be blood on the floor as you die to something you held dear. And if you have this habit just letting God love you, then what you do with that is you, you come to God first and you tell the story and you name the hurt. And not right away, but in time, you grant forgiveness. Not just once, but you know, over and over because it keeps coming up. And you may renew the relationship or you may release the relationship. But every single time we walk this courageous journey of forgiveness with little things and with big things, we become more like Christ. As we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We move from just giving love. We become love. 
And that's his dream for all of us. Let's pray together as we close. God, would you increase our desire for you until you're all we want? May we become children who are desperate to be near you. Beginning now and lasting into eternity. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.